Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis. Brent Hubbs, glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. Tennessee is bowl-bound at 6-5 and five after a 24-20 win over Missouri on a night where Jerry Garantano throws for 415 yards and two touchdowns. I'll just start with this. How shocked or surprised are you that Tennessee's a bowl team? Well, if you'd asked me before the season, I would have said that this is right around where we thought. Where I thought they would be. I thought they may be, you know, five and six going into this weekend, maybe trying to get that sixth win versus a Vandy team. But it's pretty stunning and almost laughably so, walking off the field at Florida when they're one and three and did not seem like they had a pulse. And after the game, I thought, you know, the. Not always are there new revelations this late in the season, but the fact that Pruitt kind of acknowledged this this whole, you know, he went scorched earth in the locker room in Gainesville and then kind of recomposed himself on the flight and said, hey, let's have another team meeting before you guys all disperse for this bye week, you know, or for the weekend for the bye week. And then the players talked about it. Whatever happened in that meeting, unlike a lot of these closed door team meetings, it did seem like something changed. A couple of guys ended up leaving the team, the guys who bought in, bought in, and it didn't happen the next week, obviously, with, because that you lose to Georgia, but they did play a little bit better, and then now you've seen it translate to, to what they are now, where they've won four games in a row. So, I mean, the, the second half stunning, or the second half turnaround has been, has been pretty remarkable. Well, I think we'd all be lying if we said we thought we saw it when they were sitting there at one and four. Um, you know, I, I thought that if, 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 you know, any chance they had would need, would require Vanderbilt, beating Vanderbilt. I mean, they're, to be bowl eligible before Vandy rolls in here. I mean, they literally, you know, all these games, you know, have been talked about, you know, for, before you can, I, I told Jesse the other night, before you can run, you can learn to walk. And walking is beating South Carolina and Vandy and Missouri and Mississippi State and those teams. And they've literally run perfect to this point, you know, with Vandy rolling in here Saturday and won every one of these, quote, you know, 50-50 games or games they've not been able to win in the last several years, um, you know, and they've done it in different ways. They just beat the snot out of South Carolina. They found ways to, to almost give it away a couple times at Kentucky and Missouri, but then found ways to make plays to win the football game late. And, uh, you know, again, I, I go back to this, this team's got three kind of cool comeback stories when you got Trey Smith battling blood clots, Jawan Jennings obviously is a, a long-term comeback from you know being dismissed two years ago, and then Jarrett, who's as good a comeback story as anybody, you know, being left. I mean, he was he wasn't just left for dead; he was buried. He was buried leaving Tuscaloosa, and you know somehow dug himself out of there. Well, yeah, the, there are three. I think, Rob, when you look at this team and, and you characterize this team at the end of the day, now they've got to go finish it against Vanderbilt, or a lot of this is doesn't doesn't sound very good because you know you, you lose four in a row to Vanderbilt. I guess this is a bad bad Vanderbilt team coming to town on Saturday, so you got to finish it off. But when you look at this team, I think it's toughness personified is what is what jumps out at you. Um, maybe they didn't show that early in the year, but the toughness that they've had to to stay together and then find a way to finish, I think that's the greatest characteristic of this football team is their toughness. Totally, and the middle toughness, and it's not just a cliche because it's shown up on the field and the way they've won, won the games that Austin was just talking about, the way you know that, that last drive against Mississippi State when they ran it off the goal line, down on the goal line against Kentucky when you know they, their backs were against the wall, and then Saturday at Missouri, you know, not only did they overcome a fourth quarter fumble like they did against Kentucky, but they, you know, Missouri has that 
that they get down inside the 20, Tennessee holds them with a field goal when they have to in the fourth quarter. The next possession, you know, it looks like they've got them stopped with a Daryl Taylor sack on third down, offsides, third and two. You're thinking, oh, no. And boom, Henry T makes a play. And Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, man. Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri, all, all under, and Kentucky, all underdogs, right? Tennessee was underdog yep. in all four of those games. I mean, not, you know, it's not like beating. The Patriots, but I mean Tennessee was an underdog in all four of those games and won. And, and they've and they've won it in different fact. I mean, different guys have made plays, uh, young players, old players. Um, but what's interesting is, and I was trying to ask this to Coach Pruitt on Monday, and he didn't give a whole lot to it. Just I think it's fascinating that this team has learned how to win close games because you hear it all the time. You got to learn how to win. You got to learn how to win. How has this team figured out how to win? I mean. You know, Henry T makes a big stop, forces a punt against Missouri. They don't give the ball back to Missouri because JG completes two third down throws to, to, to move the chains. Kentucky, they make the play they have to at the goal line to pick the offense up after the fumble. Mississippi State, they come off the goal line. How has this team learned how to win? Considering, considering this is a program two years ago that, that, that this group of seniors went winless in conference play early in their career, what, what's been the key to this team learning how to win? I think just playing for each other. I mean, you know, I, you, you talked about a minute ago, or Jesse did, when you know they had the the guys that leave, left the team, and I, I said this the other night. I don't think those guys were cancers, but I don't think they were engaged and bought in. And so when you eliminate, you know, negative influences, I, like I said, I'm not, I don't think they were like you know sabotaging or cancers or anything like that. But just guys that like, you know, ah, I don't even not go practice hard today, and then you know it. it, it translates to two or three or four more guys all of a sudden when everybody starts you know rowing the same way um it, to me it changes things and so i think they've just played for each other i other than that i, I you know i get like learning i get the whole notion of they don't know how to win or learn how to win you know but you know i, I how do you learn without just kind well, of just, well, just without just going out i mean it, you see it happen once and then you try to duplicate it and so maybe that drive against mississippi state you know went a long way to finishing the game off Friday night or Saturday night when, you know, you needed two big conversions and, and Jarrett, who had, you know, kind of been erratic at times, threw two of his better balls. Well, I mean, this was a team that could not convert third and short against BYU to win the football game. They do, they win that game. BYU never gets the ball back. Then here they are Saturday night, they don't give it back, to, you know, to Missouri. Mississippi State, they didn't give it back. They put the game away. And so, I mean, it's not like there's waved a magic wand. I guess, you, you know, you go through enough experiences and you finally break through and maybe one becomes two. But this is a team that couldn't finish a game off against BYU, which cost them the football game. And really, you know, they talked, the, the players kind of had it confused. And even Jeremy, I thought, you know, they kept saying one and four. And then they had, it was one and three when they had this meeting. And then they get to two and four. Uh, or what was it, two and four. This rally, this second half surge to me has really started post Alabama. Now, the Mississippi State game, I think, was when the team finally gained some confidence. But then they then had to bounce back from an Alabama game that they were competitive in, but then saw their quarterback, who had been previously benched, make one of the more, you know, just boneheaded plays we'd seen in, in, in recent Tennessee history. So to bounce back from that and then to win in four different manners, to your point of how they learned. Uh, it's been a collective effort because each week it's been something different. You kind of everybody's kind of plays pretty well against South Carolina, so you beat the brakes off the Gamecocks. 
then the defense really bows up against UAB when the offensive line could not pass block to save their life. The next week, you win a nail-biter at Kentucky. Then this week, I mean, they, they, had, they had a lot of reasons to lose. I mean, they, didn't, they outgained Missouri, you know, twice as much, but they had baffling clock management at the end of the first half, a bunch of dumb penalties, another fourth quarter fumble. First time all two season. Two block field goals. First time, two block field. First time all season uh, get outscored in the fourth quarter, lose a turnover battle, and they win a game. And that's just kind of the progress that these guys have kind of bought in where even when they make enough, even when they, you know, clearly are still a very flawed football team, they have found a way to make enough plays to win. What do you think is a better story, Jared or Jawan Jennings' story? Uh, I mean, I think it's Jared just because, I mean, with Jawan, it was nobody ever questioned whether or not he could play. I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely a good story that, you know, he worked his way back, did everything that he, you know, that was asked of him and, and is going to leave on the kind of mark he is, but I go back to what Austin said. I mean, after I mean, we were coming back from Tuscaloosa, I didn't, I didn't really know that Jared would ever play again, barring injuries. Yeah, I mean, most people thought he, he already had a foot in the transfer portal. Yeah. And, and now he's talking after the game that, you know, I'm a Tennessee ball, and it sounds like Austin's premonition that he would be back next year is looking stronger and stronger by the day. Yeah, I mean, the kids clearly, you know, started to show, and, and Jeremy talked about that, you know, that's the guy we saw in fall camp. That's the reason that, you know, when he struggled early, we didn't react too quickly to make the move to, to somebody else. And eventually they had to, but, you know, Jarrett's kind of, you know, picked his game up. He's been aided by the receivers, you know, attacking the football. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of, you know, credit T. Martin on a lot of this. I mean, the receivers are playing hard, you know. I mean, it's not just Jawan and, you know, Marquez, I thought, struggled early in the year. and kind of, you know, was really frustrated with Jarrett when Jarrett was struggling, and he kind of found his footing uh, with that deep ball against Georgia and has really played well ever since then. Um, but I, definitely I think it's Jarrett. I mean, he's – we all knew he was kind of tough physically because he just took a beating right. the first three years. But mentally, you know, to go through what he's went through, you know, and again, you know, the, the play warranted him coming off the field. Did not warrant any of the other stuff he talked about the other night. Um, and, you know, for him to battle through that and just always stay mentally engaged. I mean, he had every reason to mail it in, not care what happened in practice, not be prepared uh, for on Saturdays. And he, he stayed prepared. And every time that they've had to turn to his number when he was coming off the bench, you yeah. know, he was ready. But well, I will say this. I mean, yet, the Saturday night's game was almost just even. I mean, because he has been unflappable the last few weeks to be able to bounce back from what happened to him, getting benched, then getting buried after Alabama. But, I mean, some of the throws he made Saturday night were just absurd. Just, you know, deep ball, just dimes right to where his big old receivers can make it. And yet he still had the Jarrett Garantano where he can't throw a swing pass. He, right. had, he, had, he had that one. He could have easily thrown for over 500 he yards. Had that one, he had that one drive where Chaney dials up three straight passes, goes incomplete behind the receiver, incomplete way over the head of the receiver, incomplete, almost got the receiver killed. And it's like, what are we doing here? And then he comes back up, bomb. 
couldn't hit a swing pass. Very next play is like just a perfect fade route to Callaway for a touchdown. I mean, it was just kind of, it was he just, took a shot. Yeah, he took it. Yeah, took a shot, stuck in, and he he again had the kind of the third down magic that he had against Auburn. Only it was it was a little bit different. It wasn't just all the the chuck it up deep. But, but isn't he that Jared? Crosser, he hit Crosser. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, look at Florida. An, Florida, you missed the wide open Dom, and then the next play to a seed. Yeah, that's but point. that's my point is that this was like the encapsulation of that on steroids because he ended up did he completed he was able to stay in the game and complete enough passes where he was only the third quarterback in Tennessee history or whatever to throw for 400 yards. I mean, it was it was a pretty bananas performance, and, and his ability to convert third downs, 40% of that yardage of those 400 yards came on the money down, and that's how Tennessee won the game on Saturday. Well, Both touchdowns came off those. Uh, some huge third and 18. Oh, just missed a swing pass to Ty Chandler. That's all right. I'll throw a seam, perfect seam <laughs> pattern to Jawan Jennings. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is it – it was. It wasn't like it was third and four. He was converting. It was third and eight, third and twelve. You know, third and eighteen or whatever. It, it was. And and again, a lot of it was in the middle of the field where you hadn't had not seen him have that much success. That's the. It's the best he's thrown the ball in the middle of the football field, in my opinion, since he's been at Tennessee. Back to Callaway and getting Callaway going. I think they just they finally started calling stuff that that fits his game. You know, I mean, I mean, look, he's the best high-point ball guy on the team. No offense to Jawan Jennings. If you're going to throw two jump balls, I'm going to take my chances on Callaway over Jennings. And that's not because Jennings is bad. I just think that's the best thing Callaway does. And, and you know, they threw that fade in the Georgia State game to start the year for a touchdown. You thought, okay, here we go. That's what they do. And they kind of got away from throwing jump balls to him, it seemed like. But they've gotten yeah. back to that, and it's been you know, money for them. And, that, and that's why it was all the more baffling that they, they, go, they go aggressive at the end of the first half and then don't call timeout with eight seconds left to call up that, that very, very play. play. <laughs> but do you think that there was a point where I'm sure, I'm sure Chaney wanted – and I don't want to – I'm just speculating here. I don't know this. Knowing Jim Chaney's personality, he's, he, let's get one more play in. I wonder if Pruitt in his mind was going, you know how many end zone, you know how many interceptions we've thrown in the end zone at the end of the first half this year? Let's get the points. And he took the points. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you might be right. You might be right. I mean, it's just strange to be aggress- as aggressive as they were on that drive and then to race down. They obviously had to burn a timeout before the drive even started. That's which, the bu- that was the bizarre one there. Which like, was the mistake. Like you what, you what, walk out of a timeout, and yeah. it wasn't like you, you – I mean, I, I, I looked at Austin like, what the heck? What are we doing? Here? What, what, you know, what is going on here? And then on the replay, uh, it wasn't like they had 12 men out there or the team was not confused. Um, Jeremy just walks down and caught. Yeah, strange. The, the the clock. The the management. I thought in game management was not. Jeremy's been good about that. Has been good at that. His first you know two seasons as a head coach. Saturday was not his best night. Twelve men on the field again. The decision to punt after the you know Dom is six inches away. You end up gaining nothing field position wise out of that punt. So some some strange decisions. They got caught on the twelve men on the field because you know they put. 15 guys out there at right. the start of every possession, and right. then they want to dial up what they're in. And Missouri sprinted off the sideline straight into formation, and they couldn't get off the field in time. It wasn't that somebody was confused on am I on or am I off. They just got caught in that, in that deal. And you knew at some point that was going to catch them, and Missouri caught, caught them in that one. That's how they ended up with the illegal substitution uh, that they had there because they wanted to wait and see kind of what package they were in. Uh, so. Vanderbilt's coming to town, not very good. What do you what do you want to see out of Tennessee this weekend, other than winning the game? What's important for Tennessee this weekend? I do think this is an opportunity that Tennessee could 
put together its most complete game of the season. It's kind of built up to this. They were sloppier Saturday than I thought they'd be. I mean, I know all four of us picked them to win, but if you had told me that they were going to be as sloppy as they were, even if Jarrett threw for 415 yards, it, that's why the game was a one-possession game at the end. I could see Jeremy, you know, this is a game Jeremy knows he need, he has to turn around in terms of the series. He can't lose to Vanderbilt again. Uh, the fact that the kind of a Florida Bowl game's on the line. Last opportunity for some guys, you know, the, the, the Bush Jones orphans to play in front of the home crowd. You know, I mean, I, I would not, I mean, Nigel played great again on Saturday, but I would not be surprised if he had a monster game, if Daryl Taylor had a big game. And then, you know, as AP did this great sit down with Jawan, we know how much this game means to Jawan Jennings, and he didn't get to play in it two years ago. I, I think I could see it coalescing into Tennessee's most complete performance of the season. You agree with that? Yes, because I think I think Vanderbilt's bad. I think they're bad, and I think Tennessee is just. And that helps. Playing with so much confidence right now, man. I mean, I think. I mean, I just think they're ready to, to seize this moment to finish on a high note. I mean, I, I mean, they, they just like like we all said last week. It was just felt like two teams headed in different directions, and that's magnified this week against the Vandy team that is just has been pitiful. Vanderbilt's going to have to worry about Dylan playing in front of a crowd for the first time in a couple of weeks too, right? Because there was like 150 people at that deal on Saturday. There wasn't there wasn't many more in Columbia. That it was like Vander, like a bigger Vanderbilt. Um, you know, I I do think that Tennessee. I thought going into last week's game, if Tennessee lost to Missouri, that things were going to get real tight just based off of what happened last year. I know Vanderbilt's not very good, but all, of all sudden, the pressure was on. Tennessee. All pressure was going to be on Tennessee. Um, now. I, I think they're going to, you know, I told Jesse, I don't know if I pick them to score 50, but I think they score 40 plus, um, you know, on, on Saturday. And I, and I just think that, you know, Jason Swain talked about this when we were on the locker room Sunday night, just talking about like how emotional senior day is. And like, it's, you know, you get real emotional. And I mean, like Jawan kind of teared up talking to me about it. You know, can you imagine what Saturday's going to be like for him and some of those other guys? Like, it's hard to come back down and then get ready to play for a game. Um, and then and, and have everything go your way. Um, so, like, I, I just think that's the opposite's going to be the, in it, in with this kid, though. I just think they're going to – I think all those guys are going to play really, really well. And I, I made this comment to you guys walking over here, and, I, you know, Jesse kind of, you know, laughed and dismissed it or whatever. I, I, a year ago, Tennessee had, had a losing streak against every team in the league. If you win Saturday out of the 13, 13 other teams, you've got a, a, you know, winning streak against six of them. That's a nice flip around in a year, especially when you look at one and four start to the season. So, you know, we said going into the year, Tennessee had to learn how to win this type of game. And, you know, the way they've played the last month, I think gives them a lot of confidence and Vanderbilt's not very good. So, you know, I think Tennessee's going to play really, really well Saturday. Tennessee is going to have the seniors run through the tee individually. Yeah, the way they, like, were, like like the old they used one. to do it, and as opposed to handing out flowers and plaques or whatever they did along the <laughs> sideline at the, at the high school versus senior Here's a good prop bet. Who gets the second loudest cheer after Jawan? Is it Batuli, Warrior, Taylor, Artist or Callaway? Artist Trey Smith asked to go through the tee as an individual. That question wasn't asked on Monday. Some schools let, let that happen. Some schools don't. I don't know what's going to happen there. That's yeah. something to keep an eye and on. And a nice touch by Jeremy and them to have Darren Kirkland come back in as well and run through the tee. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a warrior. You know, uh, you know Callaway, uh, to me, it's warrior or Callaway. I don't think it'll be Batuli or, or, or Daryl Taylor. And I think they'll have great – to me, there's like 
you've got Juwan up here, and then all those other guys are kind of in that same realm. That they're really, you know, fans really like them a lot, you know. Um, so I think they'll be very similar cheers with a lot I, of those guys. I, I'm going to go with Patuli because I think the, this fan base understands how important he's been to this team this year. Yeah, I, I think and, it'd be and, the Patuli Warrior and what he's what he's meant to them down the stretch. All right, as before we go up into recruiting, your, your what will be your lasting impressions of the senior class? I mean, just sticking it out, man. I mean. I mean, coach. It's. I mean, stick. Coaching changes are are tough on, on kids, and the way that you know, it's easy to pick, especially these days where you know there's easier than ever to transfer and find a new home and, and get eligible. And I mean, for for these guys to, to to stick it out, to buy in, to not give up, especially this year at one and four. You know, you can kind of see it the first year, like, yeah, let's give this guy a chance. I'm, you know, I'm a junior. I don't want to leave him start over. But to to be a senior and start out one and four and not mail it in keep working and you know to help figure out a way to to make it better I mean I just I, I think these guys deserve a ton of respect for, for the character and the work that they've shown yeah I mean I agree I mean the, the gumption the perseverance it's not only overcoming the adversity of, of what happened in the past but then to be in the present and you, the season does unfolds you believe you have this great fall camp and there's all this optimism and you come out and just completely lay an egg and then you lose a game you shouldn't lose against BYU for them to to not only bounce back from that but then get embarrassed at Florida and not fold um, and for these guys the Batulis, the Warriors uh, the Daryl Taylors for them to be to kind of spearhead this second half surge I think it has been special to a group that had been so had been really cast off and maligned for so many years. Yeah, they should be finally remembered for me, for uh, all those things step out for me. I think the other thing that that I'll remember about some members of this class. Look, Juwan Jennings could play. Okay, we all knew that. It was a matter of him staying healthy. Callaway had made plays from his freshman year, but I look at a guy like Batuli and how much he's improved. The level of play he has right now compared to where he was a year ago when he was struggling in this defense. I look at a guy like a Warrior who was not existent the first three games of the season. You didn't even know he played. I mean, we talked about it. You know, should he even be on the field? He's playing so bad. To play at the level, I mean, he's playing all SEC level safety right now. Um, you know, is something that will stand out to me. It's just about their, their development. And, it, and look, coaching, there's a lot of coaching involved there, but there's also a lot of willingness to learn and develop themselves when you didn't have to. I mean, as Rob mentioned, you could go in there and think, okay, I got eight of these left. I got seven weeks left. Let me just get through it. Yeah. You know, and they didn't. Some guys decided, hey, I want, I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to take some really hard coaching, and they did and got better. So, um, And that was kind of the thesis of my opener review piece right. from, a week, from a week or two weeks ago for the Kentucky game. That Absolutely, the coaches deserve some credit, but I think, especially in this day and age, when oftentimes the coaches get so much uh, uh, of the acclaim that these those players in particular deserve and, and, kudos for, for what they've done. And this is I meant to mention this earlier. This goes back to your point, Brent, about learning to win. Tennessee at six and five has a point differential of plus one point two. That's pretty. That's pretty strong. When you talk about learning how to win close games. I mean, that's that's, yeah. that's unusual. Tennessee and Illinois, same amount of wins as Texas. Well, I mean, and I remember. I mean, I remember. This was when Butch Jones was coach, and they had lost a couple of close games. They lost a, a Florida game that was a basically a one possession game they gave away late. And I remember talking to Philip Fulmer for a column I did several years ago about you know what what's the because he won close. You know they figured out ways to how do you figure out a way to win those close games? And he said, 
it, it just comes with experience. You have to go through enough of them, and then when you have a little success, it builds and it builds. And he goes, I, I'd love to tell you we sat down and drew up the formula for winning it. It just kind of happens the more you're in those moments. The fact of the matter is, a year ago, Tennessee wasn't in enough Yeah, all of those the 26 moments. points losses, and right. now, yeah. Now, now you're in those moments, and, and remarkably, they found a way to do it. All right, let, let's jump to recruiting. To me, the biggest news of the weekend is Amari Thomas has decided he's going to do something earlier than I thought he was going to do something, Austin. What do you make of um, Thomas's decision to announce his commitment the first week of December? Uh, what's that mean for Tennessee right now, you think? And, and are you surprised he's doing something this early? Uh... I'm surprised he's always had this kind of dream to do it, you know, at the at one of the All Star games. He was supposed to do that at the Army game, um, and then decided not to. Um, I think that's a good sign for Tennessee. Is that because he's going to sign early? You think? I, I mean, if you if you do it at the Army game, either the cat's out of the bag if you sign in December because it never holds, or you're waiting to sign to February. You think he just wants to get it over with, so now he's doing it this way? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think he has felt more and more comfortable about his kind of top two teams, which have been Tennessee and Ole Miss for a while. He's going to go to Auburn this weekend. Um, uh -oh. so you can't discount. Uh -oh. <laughs> you can't discount <laughs> Ronnie Garner and the Tigers. Yeah, CJ um, Hardy. But uh, you know, uh, Tennessee's kind of had the momentum there for a while. And uh, Halloween's over, AP, and you just spooked him again. <laughs> I know. Um, I, well. But, hey, he's going to visit there. He's going to visit I, there. I made the mistake of dismissing Auburn with, with, Jay, with Jay Hardy, so I'm not going to do that. I think we all did. I'm not gonna, well, everyone did. I mean, no, again, that wasn't just me. But, you know, I, you know I'm not going to do that again. But point is, is Tennessee's you know, had the momentum there for a while with, with, uh, with Big O. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, the only way that he doesn't come to Tennessee is if they just look at it from a family standpoint and say, you know, that hour and 20-minute drive to Oxford is just so convenient for all of us. Interesting. Oxford and, and Oxford Ole Miss has promoted an in-house candidate to be their AD. Yeah. Which probably means Matt Luke is, is safe. Safe. Whereas had it been an out-of-house out of guy, he might have been in trouble there. So it looks like he's going to make it. So a little more stability in Oxford than some people thought there was going to be a month ago. Does well, you know whether that helps them in recruiting with Big O and others remains to be seen. But but that is something that is noteworthy coming out of Oxford because I think a lot of people thought in October that they were going to go in a different direction if a new AD came in. But they're promoting within probably gives Matt Luke at least another year um, at, at, at that job. So um, you got Big O doing something. That's to me the biggest noteworthy story coming out of the weekend in recruiting. But Tennessee's got several key guys coming in this weekend, Jesse. Looks like it's going to be, you know, it's Thanksgiving weekend, I know, but, but for the Vols, that there's going to be several, several guys on campus that are going to be important for them. Yeah, I mean, this is one that they've been kind of building up on the last couple of weeks as, as they've circled. All right, uh, our board's changed. How are we looking at it differently? So a guy like, you know, Cahoe has suddenly emerged, the inside linebacker, uh, who's still committed to Nevada. Tennessee's looking to flip that this weekend. That's a huge visit. Um, I mean, he's become a legitimate priority. His his offer list maybe wouldn't to, to to a general fan maybe wouldn't warrant as much, but he's a guy that Tennessee believes has had a strong senior season. Um, they also have a couple outside linebacker guys committed elsewhere. Morvin Joseph, Florida State. I still think the Gators probably are the most likely team he flips back to, uh, but he's coming up here. And then uh, Javon um, was it Javon Javon Banks? Yeah, the, the the kid that's committed to Mississippi State. You know, he's a guy that the staff liked this summer, 
Um, but he was already committed to the Bulldogs. Does he look around? You know, now that there's renewed rumblings of what's going to happen in Starkville with the domino effect of the coaching landscape. You know, since Shiano, uh, you know, reportedly turned down Rutgers, what does that mean for Moorhead? Um, so those are probably the three most interesting official visitors. But then AP, Whitehead's going to be back. Does he do something soon after? That's going to be an unofficial visit. Who else do they get up here unofficially um, aside from the usual cast of guys like Tyler Barron and, and the like? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that ultimately, you know, you want to try to have a, a nice score group of unofficial visitors here this weekend for Vanderbilt. You want to try to get 2021s in here um, because you do expect a really good crowd. And, and I, I think that the more guys you can have that are younger players, uh, the better. And, uh, you know, uh, I think getting Lenneth up here is huge, um, you know, because I do think you have a chance to really kind of solidify that one. Um, and then, you know, Cahoe visited Colorado this past weekend. Big like, win. Liked it, but there's a big difference between Boulder and Knoxville as far as the atmosphere. How much does he kind of get blown away? And how much does a guy like, you know, Henry play a big role in that? You know, if Henry plays well again Saturday like he's played all year and, and sits down and says, look, man, you, I, I need you here to, you know, alongside of me, you know. Yeah. Well, and hey, that guy's done a great job at Colorado. I mean, I know they're playing in Pac-12. Pac-12 is not well, not a great conference. He's done a really good job. Um, Mel Tucker, yeah, he's yeah, they've had, a nice a, they've, had a, they've had an up and down season, but that was a big win. I mean, yeah. they were not supposed to beat uh, Washington on on yeah. Saturday. Yeah, so. he's, he's done a, he's done a good job. Oh, one other thing, AP, AP and I talked about this. I think kind of a storyline for Tennessee fans to follow as we enter uh, a couple, you know, obviously important weeks in recruiting before the early signing period. Where does a guy like does Keyshawn Lawrence make it back to campus here, or does he visit somewhere else? I think that's going to be something to watch. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you have to you you have to watch all those things. And I mean, like I, I know that some fans are going to go, "Why do you guys keep playing up Keyshawn going somewhere else?" Because I mean, you know, there's just enough buzz out there that you know you, you have to be cognizant of it. Do I think Keyshawn signs with Tennessee? Yes, but at the same time, you know, as long as there's a murmur out there, and there's been a little bit of a murmur out there. You know, you have to be, uh, you know, aware of it. Well, and this this streak of wins, do you guys think it's more beneficial for 2021s than it is 2020? Not that it hurts 2020, I don't mean that, but everybody goes, well, let's change the landscape in recruiting for 2020. You're so far down the road with so many guys, you'd already targeted so many guys. It helps with them. But does it help more with 2021 than it does with 2020? Yeah, I, th I mean, I, I think it's way more important for, for the underclassmen. I just think that Tennessee's board – I mean, Tennessee's board's changed a bunch anyways, but it changed after they lost to Georgia State and BYU, and that's why Noah Sewell committed to – you know. Now, Noah Sewell ended up apparently not having the interest from the SEC schools in the end. Maybe I, I don't know the particulars of how his senior season played out. I know he was hurt a bunch. But some of those guys changed. Rakeem Jarrett moved on, you know. Uh, so I think it's going to be important for, you know, Tennessee finishes out 7-5, and five, has a chance, saying they win Saturday, and then has a chance to, to add another W during the bowl week. That's something that this staff is going to sell super hard in January when they're walking all those schools during the spring. Yeah, I think it just gives you a ton of stability moving forward. Hey, they, you know, they're established and Tennessee's heading in the right direction. All right, speaking of heading in a direction, the Tennessee basketball team is headed south to Niceville, Florida for what's a really nice – a collection of teams to be playing in Destin, Florida in this tournament, Rob. Uh, big challenge for Tennessee coming up this weekend. What, what, what are you looking for out of this basketball team? Just 
you know, continued improvement from, from the young guys, extend the bench because they're going to need it. I mean, you can't win playing, you know, six guys or having your seventh guy play three minutes like they did in Washington. I mean, you're not going to be able to do that all year long. Um, so you continue to develop that aspect of the team. Is that just a is that just a commitment that Rick Barnes has to make just to play through it with some guys? Well, I, think, I mean, I think he's going to, but it, like that game at Washington. I mean, he, he just told me he just didn't trust trust the young guys. You know, in in that kind of a game, he wasn't going to, you know, put Devonte. I mean, he, Devonte Gaines has you know played in every game except for that one. You know, Pember played played a little bit more last week. So I mean, the only one of those young guys, I mean, I don't, and I don't count Josiah because he's he's a starter. But I mean, he he's got some trust in Olivier. He, Gaines needs to come on. Pember needs to show. I mean, you know that was a really bad team, Alabama State, the other night. But I mean, Pember came in and showed you some of the things he could do with, you know, eight points and received not nine points in you know like eight minutes. Had a couple blocks. I mean, he he can help this team. Um, so just you know, find a way to extend the bench out. There. You know, you don't need to play ten guys, but you got to have, you know, three or four guys you can bring in that can play double digit double digit minutes on a night when you need them, and especially when you get in conference play. That's a grind. I mean, you can't be. I mean, he's not – Lamonte Turner and Eves Ponds and Jordan Bowden can't play 36, 38 minutes a game all season long, I don't think. So, that, that's what I'd like to see. And, you know, rebounding, short with the rebounding. Even the game when they won against Washington, Tennessee still got out-rebounded by 10. They're going to see some size against Florida State, against Purdue if they see him. VCU is you know, kind of long, but not, not like the other two. And um, you, turnovers are – it, when they played good teams, turnovers have been a bit, a bit of a problem, especially for Lamonte. Does does the fact they're playing back to back games make him make Rick Barnes play? A oh, I think it, I mean, I, you have I, to, I right? Think you have to. I mean, I just which is probably what this team needs. I mean, he has to because I, I get that you didn't trust him in Washington. So why are you suddenly going to trust one of them well, you're, Friday? You're going to be forced to. Yeah, you're going to be forced you to can't play, play seventy eight minutes in, in, in two days, twenty four hours. Right, in twenty four hours to to win that. Um, the, the Turner shot deal, Turner with his shoulder. How do you, how does Tennessee manage that? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, for Rick to come out and, and say it, you know, he's not one to make excuses for kids. I mean, and so for Rick to mention it, virtually any time, you know, somebody asking about Lamonte struggling, it's, you know, it's a real thing. He's, you know, he's missing practice time while he manages it. While he, well, you know, he's, he's been to, you know, see a couple people about it. So it's. You know, I don't. I mean, obviously, the way he's he's playing, he's not. I mean, I don't think he's in pain, but I think it's definitely done something to, just to the way he's shot. And you know, people are mystified by it. I mean, obviously, he's had every test, you know, diagnostic you know, mechanism available, looked at it, and there's, you know, Rick says there's no structural damage. It's not, you know, it's not a muscle thing. I mean, it's just kind of a mystery about why he's having the discomfort, but it, pretty clearly, it, it, it's affected him. But Tennessee will, if he passes the ACT, will bring in a new player in January. What what, what do you like about his game? I just, what I do mean, you like about this? Just from talking to people and watching what's available out there on YouTube, I mean, the kid's a, a pure point guard. I mean, he's got a really good feel for the game, and you can see that. I mean, he's a pass-first guy. He's got good athleticism, but just just the way a lot of those, you know, the, the European guys you see, I mean, just has a, has a really unique feel for the game, can get other guys involved, plays with a little flair. And one one thing you got to like about him, you know, playing internationally, he's played against you know some some big time competition. I mean, it's not like it's and some older like guys he, too, some yeah, more physical guys, older guys. I mean, I don't I don't think the the physicality of of the American style is, is going to bother him. I mean, he's you know, he, he attends the NBA Global Academy in, in Australia, where there's you know a lot of you know big time talent guys that are going to you know not necessarily come to college, may just play professionally overseas out of the, from the jump. So he. The competition's not going to be something I don't think that he's going to struggle with. 
you know, I, for people that think he's going to come in here and play right away, I, I might pump the brakes on that a little bit. I mean, Maybe you can give a shoulder to Monte. <laughs> He, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he won't play at all this year. I mean, I, I could see that. But as far as, like, you know, hitting the ground running and playing in January, the way Rick – the demands Rick places on point guards, I mean, coming in and learning the system in, in that short of amount of time and being thrown into, into conference play right away, I, I think that might be a little unrealistic. But, I mean, it's, it's a really nice get. And I can tell you Tennessee's excited about it. Well, if, but if you don't feel comfortable with your bench when you get into February – Maybe those minutes are more than, than anybody thought it would be. I think some of that depends on, again, if, if you could spot you a few minutes and move somebody off the ball, move Turner or somebody off the ball, if you don't feel comfortable where Gaines is and, and some things with your depth, could, maybe he plays more minutes than you think. I think it you know, remains to be seen. I'm with you. He's not going to come in and Rick's not going to give him the ball and say, hey, it's your team. But, you know, pretty nice security blanket to potentially have in February if you don't feel like your bench has developed the way that you had hoped uh, moving forward, which is why the rest of this month, uh, this weekend, and then certainly in December is big for, for Gaines and some of those guys, Pember and some of those guys. I know they're different players, but when you start mixing in numbers, you know, it's a nice luxury to have if those guys aren't, aren't coming along the way that you thought they would or had hoped they would come along when you get late into conference play. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, he's not – I mean, I think their biggest issue is, is depth at the front court right now. And I don't know – I mean, right. he's I mean, not really going to help you in that regard. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm totally fine with moving Lamonte off the ball and giving the ball to Josiah. Yeah, as that continues – as he continues to, to move forward uh, in his development as well. So, big weekend for the Tennessee basketball team uh, as they play in that tournament down in Destin, Florida. Big weekend for the Tennessee football team who will honor a senior class – uh, whose toughness should not be forgotten by anybody anytime soon, and an opportunity to uh, get to seven wins in this season. A remarkable turnaround for this team. We'll have full coverage of Tennessee and Vanderbilt leading up throughout the week, as well as Tennessee basketball recruiting as well. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us, everybody.